1: Isaac Newton invented calculus, and he believed in God. Max Planck was the father of quantum physics, also a believer. Copernicus, the solar system, and Galileo, and Francis Bacon, and Pascal, they all believed. Today, three out of every five scientists, knowing what they know, say that they can't really buy into the concept of God. Science refutes God, they would say. Really? It sounds like the makings of a great debate, so let's get on to it. Yes or no to this statement, science refutes God, a debate from Intelligence Squared U.S. I'm John Donvan. We have four superbly qualified debaters who will be arguing for and against that motion, science refutes God. Our debate goes in three rounds, and then the audience votes to choose a winner, and only one side wins. And welcome first to argue in support of the motion, Lawrence Krauss. You are a uh, theoretical physicist. Your research uh, interests have included uh, particle physics, dark matter, neutrino astrophysics, which is kind of easy stuff for all of us. Um, you you, also, you, you um, like to push buttons, and you, uh, you wrote a book called Forget Jesus, The Stars Died So That You Could Be Here Today, which, which doesn't sound very polite. Do you think that's provocative? Uh,
2: slightly, yeah. Well, I think... Um provoking people and ridicule and satire is incredibly important in the world today. It's that nothing should be above ridicule because it gets people to think, and,
1: and least of all, religion. And your partner is? Michael Shermer. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Shermer. <clears throat> Michael, you are the founder of uh, Skeptic Magazine and the Skeptic Society. You were not always skeptical uh, on this issue. You, as, uh, as a teenager, you were a born-again Christian, and then you switched to the other team you 're what my eighth grade nun would call a very brazen and naughty boy
3: <laughs> well i 'd be happy to talk to her about it but uh, she's yeah, she 's passed
1: on, which I think would go to the other side yeah,
3: uh, well. I I was a born-again evangelical. I went uh, knocking on door-to-doors to to tell people about Jesus. And then later, when I became a born-again atheist, I went back to those same houses and knocked on their doors, and (laughs) I was wrong.
1: All right. Our motion is Science Refutes God. We have two debaters arguing against this motion. I'd like to introduce the first, ladies and gentlemen, Dinesh D'Souza. (laughs) Dinesh, you're a a best-selling author and the director of 2016 Obama's America. Uh, you have debated this issue uh, a number of times, arguing against atheists a lot. And a lot of times they say that science refutes God, but you came out with a book called uh, God Forsaken. And a way you turn this argument on its head, how?
0: Well, I think science is a, can be a tool to help us understand God. And uh, so far from science refuting God, I see science as a wonderful instrument for helping us learn about the world and thus learning about its creator. And your partner is? My partner is Ian Hutchinson. Ladies and gentlemen, Ian Hutchinson. (laughs) Ian, uh, Ian Hutchinson,
1: you are a professor of nuclear science and engineering at MIT. Your contributions to science include the first observations of polarized tokamak, electron cyclotron, radiation, and development of diagnostics and thermal and non-thermal electronic distributions based on it. So you're that guy? (laughs) What are are you doing here?
4: (laughs) Well, I, I guess that is the question, isn't it? (laughs) <laughs> but, but more seriously, um, I'm a scientist and I'm also a Christian. I think both are very important parts of uh, the way that we understand the world. And I think that's why this debate is so important.
1: All right. So, on to round one, opening statements from each debater in turn. Our motion is, science refutes God, and here to debate first, in support of this motion, Lawrence Krauss. He is the director of the Origins Project and professor of of physics at the School of Earth and Space Exploration at Arizona State University. Ladies and gentlemen, Lawrence Krauss.
2: I first want to begin by clarifying the nature of the motion, because the motion isn't science disproves God science refutes God. And that's very important, because you can't disprove a notion that's basically vague and unfalsifiable. There's no way to disprove the notion that God didn't create all of us 15 seconds ago, with the memories of of the amusing comments we heard before that. There's no way we can disprove that. But we can ask, is it rational to expect that that's likely? And tonight, I want to emphasize that 500 years of science have demonstrated that God, that vague notion is not likely. It's irrational to believe in God. Now my own scientific field is cosmology and uh, that's the study of the origin and evolution of the universe as a whole and it's where science and religion sort of confront each other and creation myths have abounded throughout human history and science confronts those creation myths. But I want to point out that our opponents, I, I'm pretty sure, are going to argue first that one aspect of science that supports perhaps the belief in God is this notion that the universe is apparently fine-tuned for life. I hear that a lot. And because uh, it was fine-tuned so life could exist. That is a remarkable and, in fact, cosmic misunderstanding. Because it's the same kind of misunderstanding that led people to believe in special creation for life on Earth before Darwin. It looked like everything was designed for the environment in which it lived. But what Darwin showed us was that a simple proposition, namely that there's genetic variation among a population combined with natural selection meant that you didn't need supernatural shenanigans. That, in fact, all the diversity of life on Earth could arise from a single life form by natural law. And he didn't know... What he showed was it was plausible based on the evidence. He didn't know about DNA, he didn't know about details of genetic replication, but he showed it was plausible. Now, my opponents, I suspect, will will argue the universe is equally fine-tuned for life And they, in fact, uh, they will point out that certain fundamental parameters in nature, if they were different, we couldn't exist. This, too, is an illusion. And, in fact, perhaps the biggest fine-tuning problem in my own field of of cosmology, something I'm, I'm, in fact, very proud to have proposed, in a sense, is that the energy of empty space is not zero. The weirdest thing you can imagine, that empty space weighs something. But, remarkably, the energy of empty space is 120 orders of magnitude smaller than we would naively predict... We all thought it was zero when I was a graduate student because that was a natural value. If it was zero, the universe would be a better place. In fact, you can show the value that it has now makes the universe the worst of all possible universes to live in for the future of life. So, so much for a universe created for us. (laughs) Now, once Darwin had uh, removed the apparent need for God in evolution of life, the last bastion for God was the creation of the universe, how you can get something from nothing. And what... We're in a remarkable situation of of being in is precisely the same situation that Darwin existed in 150 years ago. Namely, we have a plausible explanation of how a universe could precisely come from nothing. If you ask what would be the characteristics of a universe that came from nothing by natural laws, it would be precisely the characteristics of the universe we observe. And it didn't have to be that way. It could have been another way. And by nothing, and my opponents will say that by nothing I'm not talking about nothing, but I'm talking about nothing. No particles, no radiation, no space, no time, and even no laws of physics. There do remain deep philosophical and scientific questions that are unanswered, but God is not required or useful to explain any of them. And therefore, to conclude, science has taught us that we don't need God to create a universe, that there's no evidence for God, that the specific scientific claims of those who require God disagree with empirical evidence, and it's irrational. Science refutes God, so clearly you should vote for our side. Thank you,
1: Thank you, Lawrence Krauss. And that is our motion, Science Refutes God. And here to speak against the motion, Ian Hutchinson. He is a professor of nuclear science and engineering at MIT and the author of Monopolizing Knowledge, A Scientist Refutes Religion-Denying, Reason-Destroying Scientism. Thank you for
4: the opportunity to be with you tonight and to explain why science does not refute God. The God I'm going to discuss is the God of Christianity, because I'm a follower of Jesus. But my side's job is not to convince you of the truth of Christianity, although I think it is true. Our job is just to show that Christianity's God is not refuted by science. To establish the motion, what our opponents have to do is to show that some central tenet of what Christians believe about God is impossible, or at least highly implausible, in the light of Science, and that's a tall order. But let me dispense with a couple of the most plausible sounding arguments. I'll illustrate one common argument from the writing of an MIT colleague, Alan Lightman, who wrote The central doctrine of science is the view that the laws of nature are inviolable. Science and God are compatible as long as the latter, God, is content to stand on the sidelines once the universe has begun. So the question is, how do I answer Alan Lightman? It's straightforward. The presumption that the laws of nature are inviolable is just not a doctrine of science. Science's method and its program is to describe the universe insofar as it is repeatable and follows universal laws. But science hasn't got the slightest need to extrapolate that method and program into a presumption that everything that happens must be so describable. And the majority of the scientific heroes of history did not make that presumption. Great scientists like those that were recited before, Newton, Boyle, Dalton, Maxwell, were Christian believers who saw their science as compatible with a God who is active in the world and on occasions works miracles that go beyond the laws that they were discovering. A second frequent critique of uh, belief in God is that it is based on irrational faith rather than evidence. Uh, Belief in God is often highly rational. The uh, universities that were established between, say, the 14th and the 18th centuries were places of explicitly religious rationality and learning. But what the critics mean, I think, is they're saying there's no scientific evidence for God. Actually, there are some things we've learned about the universe through science that are highly suggestive of a creator. But for the sake of argument, suppose that the scientific evidence for God were non-existent. Would that mean that science refutes God? Not at all. There's no scientific way to prove that Caesar crossed the Rubicon. There's no scientific way to judge the justice of a verdict. There isn't even a scientific way to detect a true thought. But all of these things are real cognitive questions whose answers are important and often indisputable. And questions about God are usually of the same type, not scientific. If science in in its endeavors fails to detect God, so what? Thoughtful Christians don't believe that God is a natural phenomenon to be established by scientific investigation. Science, for all of its power, is utterly incompetent to refute God.
1: I'm John Donvan, and you're listening to Intelligence Squared U.S., Oxford-style debating on America's shores. Stay with us. And a reminder of what's going on. We are halfway through the opening round of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan. We have four debaters, two teams of two, arguing it out over this motion, Science Refutes God. You have heard two of the speakers so far, and now on to the third, Michael Shermer. He is the founding publisher of Skeptic Magazine, a monthly columnist for Scientific American, and the author of The Believing Brain. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Shermer.
3: Thank you. Thank you. All cultures everywhere in the world have created God beliefs, gods with these intentional, uh, that are intentional agents. For tonight, I want to ask, what's more likely that our opponents here happen to pick the right god and the right religion among all the, about 10,000 different religions and about 1,000 different gods that humans have constructed socially, anthropologically, psychologically uh, in the last 10,000 years? 10,000 different religions, 1,000 different gods. Our opponents agree with us that 999 of those gods are false gods. They are atheists like we are atheists. What I'm asking you to do is just go one god further with us. <laughs> so here's what happened. <clears throat> uh, about five to 7,000 years ago, these small bands of hunter-gatherers began to coalesce into chiefdoms and states. As long as the numbers are small, informal means of behavior control and moral enforcement operate quite well. As soon as the numbers are too large for these informal means, shunning, making people feel guilty, making them feel embarrassed for their bad behavior, as soon as the populations are big, there's too much opportunity for free riding and for cheating the system and taking advantage of it and getting away with it. So, two institutions evolved government to set up a set of rules and everybody gets a copy, and religion. In case you think you got away with it, you didn't because there's an eye in the sky that knows all and sees all and keeps track of this. Now, what's happened in the last several centuries since the Enlightenment, in addition to the trajectory that Professor Krauss outlined for you, science displacing religion as the primary means of explaining how the world works, something else has also happened. We've slowly but ineluctably replaced religion as the primary source of our morals and and came up with the clever idea that you actually have to have a reason why you have uh, certain moral principles and we're going to write certain laws. You actually have to give evidence for why you think this is a good law or a bad law or a good moral principle or a bad moral principle. And so again, what's more likely, that one of them happens to be the one true religion and the one true God and all those others that have been constructed are false gods, or that, as we can clearly see, This is what people do to get along. They construct religions. They construct moral systems and so on. We now know that we can do this without gods. In fact, we do it quite well without gods. Northern European countries do just fine with much lower rates of religiosity than we have. I want to finish with just one comment on the resurrection since uh, Ian brought that up. Leaving aside the scientific evidence for this, just think about what it is that is being said here. God, they are monotheists. They believe that there's just one God and that Jesus is God manifest on earth. And he is your savior and you accept him for redeeming us for sins we never committed. Somebody else in the past committed them. So as I understand this, God sacrifices himself to himself to save us from himself. If that sounds as incomprehensible to you as it does to me, I urge you to vote for our side. Thank you. Thank you, Michael Shermer.
1: And our motion is Science Refutes God. And now our final debater speaking against this motion. Dinesh D'Souza, he is the best-selling author of many books, including What's So Great About Christianity. He is also the director of the documentary, 2016, Obama's America, and a former policy analyst in the Reagan White House. Ladies and gentlemen, Dinesh D'Souza.
0: How would one go about establishing the idea that science refutes God? On the face of it, this is such an odd and difficult and preposterous enterprise. Why? Because actually, the questions to which God is the answer are really fundamentally not scientific questions. Here's what I mean. Here we are as human beings, we're thrown into the world. And we can't help if we're curious, if we're thoughtful to say, why is there a universe? What's our purpose? What are we doing here? What's going to come after? We're going to die, but what next? Now I ask you, what are the scientific answers to those questions? The answers are from science, don't have a clue, don't have a clue, and don't have a clue. Why? Because none of those questions is amenable to being decided empirically. So because science is in no position to refute God, what we get from the other side is pop psychology. It's an effort to explain why people believe instead of providing any kind of a real refutation. The reality is, and we keep hearing a lot about Darwin, because the last good argument against God came out in the 1850s. Science has made a whole bunch of discoveries since then, but they point in the opposite direction. When the discovery of the Big Bang came, this, by the way, was at a time when most scientists believed the universe was eternal. The steady state universe was the prevailing doctrine of American and Western science. So it came as a shock that the universe had a beginning. Why? Because in a way, it wasn't just that matter had a beginning, but space and time also had a beginning. In other words, this was something that the ancient Hebrews had said thousands of years ago and without conducting a single scientific experiment. By the way, that's almost identical to what Lawrence Krauss said. First, there was nothing, no particles, no energy, no laws, and then there was the universe, completely consistent with what Christians believe. And the astounding fact is that 2,000 years later, modern science, after climbing round and round the mountain, has arrived at the top only to find a bunch of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. (laughs) Now, the fine-tuned universe has become now a tremendous embarrassment to atheism. Why? Because ultimately it shows that the laws and constants of nature are fine-tuned not only for the existence of life, but specifically for human life. I want to note that this is an argument completely immune to Darwinian attack. Let's remember that evolution, powerful theory as it is, is not a theory of life. It's not about the origin of life. It's simply about how life form A gave rise to life form B. And the fact is that there have to be certain conditions that are necessary for evolution to take place. In other words, the fine-tuned universe is a precondition of Darwinian evolution itself. We are living at a time when religious believers do not need to be afraid of science. They should, as I do, embrace science and welcome science, because correctly understood, far from pointing away from God, science thrillingly points to God. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Dinesh D'Souza.
0: And that concludes round
1: one of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, where the motion is Science Refutes God. Now we go on to round two, where the debaters address each other directly and also take questions from you in the audience and from me. We have two teams of two. They're arguing out this motion, Science Refutes God. Lawrence Krauss and Michael Shermer are arguing for the motion, and they are, um, number one, they're saying they are not arguing that science disproves God, but that science makes the possibility, the existence of God very, very unlikely. They also say that God is a human creation, that this is established in history, psychology, anthropology, and that in the past, God was the answer to a question that science has now answered more and more successfully. The team arguing against the motion, Dinesh D'Souza and Ian Hutchinson, uh, are making the argument that belief in God, number one, is very rational, number two, that there is evidence for the existence of God, it's just not evidence that one would call scientific. So we're going to take questions from you and from me, but I want to start uh, actually getting to something I'm very curious about, and that's the issue of miracles. I want to put to the side, you in particular, Ian Hutchinson, who is arguing against the notion that science refutes God. What is a miracle if not a violation of the laws of physics? Does it not violate the laws of physics? And if it does so, how how is that even possible, and how does that fit into this argument? So what
4: we call the laws of physics, from a Christian point of view, are the way that God normally orders the universe, the normal behavior of things round about us. Boyle, who was one of the founders of the Royal Society, uh, wrote a whole book about what nature is. And and what he advocated was that what we mean or should mean by nature is the normal course of events. Now, of course, miracles are not the normal course of events. And by the way, it didn't take science to tell us that. You know, people in the first century knew that people don't rise from the dead when they've been hung on crosses. And people knew that um, women don't uh, bear children unless, well, you know what... Um, uh, so yes, miracles are abnormal events. Usually, abnormal. But why, events. why
1: does science not refute those things? As in, it they seem simply, to be impossible. It's simply
4: not the case that you have to presume that the, uni- the, 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 the laws of nature are universally inviolable. It's simply not necessary to do science to do that. Lawrence those. Krauss.
2: Oh, that's ridiculous! Um, in fact, it's, it's ridiculous for the science that you do. When you do science you're presuming that the results of an experiment in your laboratory apply in another laboratory. Miracles, in your particular religion, it's kind of remarkable um, that these violations of the laws of nature only occurred before video cameras and Intelligence Squared and the Internet, and that you have these remarkable violations of the laws of nature. In a book, which I was really surprised to hear Dinesh call a scientific document, the Bible, I hope he really didn't mean that. St. Augustine would be very upset with you because he said the Bible wasn't scientific. But these violations of the laws of nature only occurred at a time when there was no evidence for them.
1: And you believe uh, it. Lawrence, but but is there a logical argument that you can make against miracles? Not not the I didn't see them and nobody has seen them lately argument.
2: Our logic is determined by nature, not by what we'd like. And nature has told us that miracles don't happen. That's it. It's not what I want or what I think should be rational. It's do they happen, and there's no evidence that they've ever happened. Tinesh D'Souza.
0: I think we have here a deep fallacy, and the fact that it remains a fallacy shows that what is being called science is actually hiding behind a philosophical principle. It was the philosopher Hume who pointed out 200 years ago that from no amount of empirical generalizations, however large can you draw a general law that is true as a matter of logic? Let's say you measure um, the speed at which this pen falls down. You can measure it a million times, but you don't know that on a star 10 light years away or in some other condition where you haven't measured it that if you drop this pen, it will fall at the same speed. Science presumes it. It doesn't prove it. it. Hang on. I'm I'm sorry. We measure it. Let me finish it. Right, but you can't measure it always and everywhere and you haven't measured it 10,000 years ago. You're assuming yes, that 10,000 No, you're assuming that 10,000 years ago it happened at the same speed and your measurement is based on that. So Hume's point is this. Science provides general propositions based on experience, but he said we should always be willing to accept new experience that prov- that proves the opposite.
2: I agree with you in that. Science can only prove what's wrong, not something that's absolutely true. So you're right. If I drop a ball a million times and it falls, I, in principle, could imagine an experiment where it wouldn't, but that's highly likely it's going to fall the next time. But you use the key word, experience. We wait, then, for an experience that contradicts the known laws. So if tonight, when I looked up at the sky, the stars rearranged themselves and said, I am here in Aramaic or Ancient Greek or whatever you want then I might say, you know, there's something to it, but the point is there's been no, there's been no experience that violates the fact that the laws have Ian, existed Ian throughout Hutchins, all Ian time. Hutchinson.
4: Lawrence, you haven't had such an experience, right. but there are probably people in this room who have. The question fundamentally comes down to what counts as empirical. And in science, of course, what counts as empirical are things that we can do experiments on. We can do repeated observations. So science depends upon reproducibility. So it's in the nature of miracle that it can't be reduced into scientific uh, form.
3: If kind of there was ever a it
4: miracle it it that happened, and tell me one that happened, that you can show happened. Let's it. let Michael show but, but
3: even so, even if there was one, let's say, Ian, that petitionary prayer actually works. Again, as a physicist... Petitionary prayer, you mean, uh, uh, I would like something to happen, and you pray for it. to the deity to, say, cure my cancer or whatever. And it happens. Wouldn't you be curious to know how the deity, or whatever it is, reaches into the world, stirs the particles, reconfigures the DNA so the cancer cells quit replicating so rapidly and so on. And the moment you figured that out as a scientist, it would no longer be a miracle. It wouldn't be supernatural. It would just be part of nature. Well, let's be clear that it's never been... a
4: a religious position that if we have a natural explanation for something that means that God is absent or that God didn't do it it's always been a biblical viewpoint that even on things which we know are part of nature God can be considered to be active in those things Uh, John I just want to correct Lawrence Krauss I mean
2: I don't think you meant it so I want to just make clear the laws of physics are deterministic our observations aren't deterministic, but the underlying laws are deterministic. Nothing's changed in, in, in 400 years. And so it's really well, important to recognize there's no way... Isn't de- the
4: universe isn't, dis- isn't deterministic. Wait a minute. It,
1: uh, I, it's I, governed I, by quantumism. Just one thing, um, because we got into four syllables and I'm not that smart. Um, <laughs> Just give us a working definition of the word deterministic. You, you, you mean... It, you start it, it, with an initial condition for
2: the equations of quantum mechanics, and the, and the evolution of the system is determined unambiguously. It has to no happen. No uncertainty. Your measurement of the system has uncertainty. But the evolution
1: of this underlying uh, system you know, is completely I, I'll, determined. I, I'll, accept, I'll accept the slight correction. So, to the side, <coughs> excuse me. To the side, arguing that against the motion that science, the, notion, the motion that science refutes God, is it your position that there are certain things that science can know, and then there are certain things that science can't know, therefore doesn't refute God? How large is that category of things that we can't know, and is is, is science just irrelevant to that category of of knowledge?
0: There are some questions in which. Um, Christians and religious believers are making factual claims. God made the universe. It's a factual claim. Either he did or he didn't. There is life after death. We may have no way to find out, but that's a factual claim. Either there is or there isn't. Now, religion also makes moral claims. Um, This is how you should live. This is a happy life and so on. So religion operates in two domains. The second domain is untouchable by science. Science can try to give accounts of how morality originated but that's not the same thing as what you should and shouldn't do.
1: let me Before you move on, let me go to Michael Shermer on that.
3: Well, so um, where do we get our morals from? Um, it, it can't be from the Bible because almost nobody obeys, certainly not the Old Testament, and, and most of the New Testament. I mean, death penalty for adultery, there goes half a Congress. I mean, nobody, <laughs> nobody is going to do this. right? So we pick and choose. We cherry pick from the the holy books based on something else, something else that's happened that I referenced in my opening statement of there's been this other change that's happened, this secularization of morality. Uh, And so that's been the change there. So... Even if you and I both listen to the still small voice within to decide what's right or wrong, Dinesh, um, I'm claiming you're not getting it from the Bible, and I'm not either. We're getting it from somewhere else. I think we've evolved this propensity to have moral emotions, and then culture tweaks them, and we've been getting progressively more but, moral. But
1: how, what's telling us what is actually right or wrong? But, but I think science well, does t- tell us what's right and wrong. Sorry, Lawrence
2: Krauss. Uh, uh, I think science does tell us what's right and wrong in a real way. Really? We, yeah. We, we, we have learned, for example, the fa- the scientific facts that certain animals can suffer for example affects our treat our decision of whether of how we should treat those animals whether we should eat them or not eat them Uh, or the the scientific evidence that certain people of certain colors don't have different intellects different capabilities has changed the way we deal with other humans but science has determined the way we behave in the modern world ian hutchinson
4: I don't think it's the case that it tells us right or wrong. I think science does often inform us in ways that help us to implement our morals and our ethics more effectively, more fairly, uh, more accurately, and and more truly. But in the end, it cannot tell us whether, whether it's right or wrong to do something because categories of right and wrong aren't scientific
1: categories. I'm John Donvan, and you're listening to Intelligence Squared U.S., Oxford-style debating on America's shores. Four panelists are arguing for and against this motion. Science refutes God. Stay with us. I'm John Donvan, and you're listening to Intelligence Squared U.S., Oxford-style debating on America's shores. We are in the question and answer section of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan, your moderator. We have four debaters, two teams of two, arguing it out over this motion, science refutes God. To the team that is arguing for the motion that science refutes God, I want to ask you uh, it's somewhat of a personal question. Uh, can, a, can a scientist believe in God and still be a, a functioning scientist? A- absolutely. There, there are... There are functioning scientists and, and who, who can
2: believe in God. They're functioning scientists who are pedophiles. They're functioning scientists who are... No, I'm serious. I mean, the point is, scientists are human. Well,
1: that was a very, very, very rough grouping that you just did. Well, uh, well, I don't know in the spirit of this thing if you want to step back from that.
2: <laughs> okay, but what, yeah, okay, but what I want to point out is that people, people are not fully rational. As a very famous biologist said... When I go into the laboratory, I become an atheist because when I, believe, when I twiddle the knobs in my experiment, I don't believe there's some, some angel affecting the results of the experiment. Some people choose to believe it outside. The minute they take it into the laboratory, they stop being good scientists. Ian Hutchinson. That's actually
4: quite, that's actually quite contrary to history. I mean, what got modern science going in the first place was a belief in the faithfulness of God a creator who'd made a rational creation. And a good case can be made, that the reason why science as we know it, modern science, grew up in the West was in part because Christianity in its philosophical and theological viewpoints served as a kind of hospitable
1: environment in which that science could grow up. But I get the sense, though, that the other side is arguing that as science progressed and the more that scientists knew, the more tempting atheism became for them because of, because of the volume and because of the discoveries and because they found inconsistencies. What, what about that? Uh, do you want to take that to, to Susan?
0: Well, I, I think there's a presumption that science explains the material world. So it is a presumption of modern science, not a proof, but a presumption, that beyond the material world, there is nothing. So take, for example, the fact that as humans we experience consciousness. We know that there's something in us, consciousness, that can't be reduced simply to, to materialism. How do you know that? Hold on a second. No, no. Hold on a second. When you say, how do you know that? You're presuming that it is. Do you agree that the cause of consciousness is not known?
2: The fact that something is not known does not imply it's God. You, you better not get that. Right, but God neither ha-
0: So, So consciousness is an immaterial thing that may have a material explanation, and the key word is may. And yet you as a scientist believe it does. I don't believe anything. I just want to hear You just said that all causes works. are material. I just I'll wait for the experiments and the theory. Ah. So in other words, in other words, you're ah. pre- you're presuming <laughs> Watch out. <laughs> I'm simply I'm saying as a scientist you are closed off to the possibility of non-material explanations true or false.
2: No, I told you, if the the, the stars moved around today, I'd be really thinking there's some intelligence in the universe. There's just never been such an observation. So until there is, I'll assume the reasonable, logical thing, since there's never been such an observation, there's unlikely to be one.
1: Gentleman in the blue shirt.
2: Thank you. My name is Jerry Orstrom, and my question is directed to the panelists opposing the motion. Could you respond to Michael Shermer's assertion That, in fact, each of you are atheists 999 times over. And your adoption of Christianity is merely a happenstance of the culture
4: in which you grew up. Could you respond to that?
1: Dinesh D'Souza.
0: Well, first of all, in my case, that is flatly untrue because I was born and raised in India. So from a very young age, the Christianity in which I was born was problematic and had to be measured against other possibilities. But once you begin to study the other religions, you discover something very interesting, and that is that there are shared propositions of of the different religions. Uh, One scholar described it very well. It's sort of like you have a mountain, and at the top of the mountain you have God, but no one can see him. And you have little rivers of knowledge pouring down, and you can look at the different religions as human attempts, flawed, to apprehend the same reality. So I don't see the other religions as wrong. I see, the, see, the, see all of us in a human enterprise to try to, to, to gain knowledge that seems beyond the reach of the empirical.
3: So you just eloquently described the geography of religious beliefs of India. When Lawrence goes to lecture in India, he doesn't discover that they, they, they do physics differently in India. They, they do physics everywhere around the world the same. There's just one physics. That's the, that's the larger point.
1: Right down the front here, please. This is a question to Ian and Dinesh. Um,
3: is there an observed phenomena for which the religious explanation has progressed ahead of the scientific explanation in terms of plausibility?
0: I'll answer that. Dinesh, this is a... If you look at the Bible, it doesn't claim to make scientific proofs. In fact, what's interesting about the Bible is it doesn't make proofs at all. The Bible doesn't even t- attempt to prove God it asserts things. Why? Because for the most part, what the Bible is doing is it's in the province of Revelation. Now, the Bible does make certain claims about the world and about man. The Bible doesn't say that God made man out of nothing, but it does say that God made the universe out of nothing. Now, so the Bible says God created the world and God created man, but the Bible doesn't say how. That's where science comes in. Science can attempt to give explanations that actually don't refute the Bible. You could refute the Bible by showing that actually the universe has always existed and doesn't require any explanation whatsoever.
1: Lawrence has had his head in his hand listening
0: to this. You don't really want to go here, Dinesh. So I
2: would say, for example, we refute the Bible by arguing that creating day and night before you create the sun is pretty silly.
0: Well, uh, Lawrence, in that case, here's the problem. You have, you have a fundamentalist reading of the Bible that is, know, that, is maybe, that is maybe subscribed to by 3% of Christians and 100% of you atheists. You just
2: gave a <laughs> fundamentalist... No, but you just gave... You just... You just I'm sorry, that, well, I brought that up because I thought you were essentially repeating a fundamental dissertation that somehow the Bible makes some scientific claims that are substantial. And the whole point is you don't want to go there because you and I know that a fundamentalist interpretation of the Bible leads to nonsense.
1: We are in the question and answer section of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan, your moderator. We have four debaters, two teams of two. Debating this motion, science refutes God. You will be our youngest ever questioner. There
3: is no pressure on you whatsoever. (laughs) Uh, My name is David, and um, I'm a student at collegiate school, and I would like to know from a the side uh, for the motion, what your stance would be or what you would say to somebody that has had a spiritual experience. Uh, Let's sorry. let Michael Shermer take that question. Yeah, so uh, we get this a lot. You know, how do you explain this or that? I think people's experiences are real. Absolutely. Most people, when they experience, they describe some miraculous, fantastic spiritual experience that they've had, they really mean it. Now, so the question is, what does it represent? Something out there in the world or something in, inside the brain? Well, we now know enough about neuroscience to know that the brain does generate a lot of these kind of spiritual experiences, near-death experiences, out-of-body experiences, hallucinations, delusions. Um, and so the experiences are real. What we want to know as scientists is, well, what do they actually represent? I mean, we know we can replicate these in the lab by doing certain things and causing people's brains to have these experiences. So most likely, the what's more likely question, that it's out there or that it's in here, the overwhelming evidence is that they're in here. Good question, and I want to actually take it to the other side. We're talking here about an experience that has been had
0: by perhaps 90% of people in the world from the beginning of time. So I would put the likelihood this way. If we went to a village and there were 100 people in the village and 95 of them said that they knew a guy named Bill. And there were 5% of the guys who said, nah, and three of them thought that the other 95 were lying. Which is more likely? That there is a Bill and yet 95% of people are hallucinating? Or is it that there is a bill and 5% just don't know the guy?
3: Sir, well, right the, 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 the quick answer is that there, there are bills, and we've seen bills. So th- that's different than an invisible God that may or may not exist. And, and, and the point is, what you, when you say the experience, you,
2: you mean a personal perception that God exists. And the fact that something is, is maybe relatively universal suggests that we may be programmed... Our evolutionary history programs us to have certain tendencies, and there's no doubt you'd be crazy to suggest that humans don't have a tendency to be religious. That would violate evidence of reality. So the fact that humans have a tendency to be religious is not, or belief in God, is not proof that God exists. It's just proof that humans have a tendency.
1: Okay.
4: Do you believe that your Christianity is absolute and true... Or do you feel that you need to make a leap of faith there? And is a leap of faith scientific? Ian Hutchinson. Yes, I think faith is an important topic that we haven't touched on. And humans make decisions on the basis of incomplete evidence all all the time during our lives. And uh, it's people who act boldly and with determination and commitment who are the people who are, in the end, most successful in life. They act on the evidence that they have, even though that evidence is incomplete. Faith is that same principle of acting on the evidence we know, even though it's not complete, applied to matters of the spirit. Lawrence Cross.
2: As I said, in science we talk about likely and unlikely. In science, of course, and and in life, we do, I agree, make decisions based on incomplete evidence. But the wonderful thing about science, the thing that makes science so much better than religion, is our faith is shakable. I am proud of the fact that there's something I can believe with all my heart to be absolutely true. And the minute there's a bit of evidence that shows it isn't true, I throw it out like yesterday's newspaper. In fact, that's the one thing I recommend I hope every student has in their experiences sometime in their life, something that they profoundly believe in to be true based on faith shown to be wrong because that opens their mind and that's what science does that religion doesn't.
1: And that concludes round two of this intelligence squared U.S. debate (laughs) where our motion is science refutes God. And here's where we are. We are, and here's where we are. We are about to hear brief closing statements from each debater in turn Our motion is, Science Refutes God. And here, to summarize his position against this motion, Ian Hutchinson, Professor of Nuclear Science and Engineering at MIT. Science is very important. It's our way
4: of finding out about the regularities of the universe and this amazing natural world in which we live. Claiming more for science than is warranted by its competence does not promote science, it damages it. Talking as if science is all the real knowledge there is, as this scientific motion does, alienates from science people who know better than to accept such an unjustified metaphysical extrapolation. It alienates intellectuals, particularly from other non-scientific disciplines, and it, it alienates non-intellectuals, whose opinions are more intuitive and practical, but who know that their life is more than some reductionistic description in terms of atoms and molecules. People who make aggressive, anti-theistic claims on behalf of science are not acting as science's champions. They are bringing it into disrepute. And they are, in the end, misrepresenting science to the public, And therefore, I urge you, whatever may be your religious beliefs, to vote against this
1: erroneous motion. Thank you, Ian Hutchinson. Our motion is Science Refutes God. And here to speak in support of the motion, Michael Shermer. He is the founding publisher of Skeptic Magazine and a columnist for Scientific American.
3: When I was a Christian, I was in what I call the bubble. I was in the bubble where everybody around you believes – and in that bubble, the Christian worldview, like any other worldview, is internally consistent. It's inher- inherently logical. It's reinforced by everybody around you until you step outside of the bubble. What happened with me is I went to graduate school and I started to study social psychology, anthropology, psychology of beliefs, and so on. And there I realized that uh, none of those arguments actually make sense in and of themselves, the arguments for God's existence. What became clear to me is that what happens is as you... You arrive at beliefs for non-rational, non-smart reasons, and then you back into it after the fact with rational reasons to justify it. We call this the confirmation bias. And uh, so for me, I think there's overwhelming evidence that I've given you tonight that there's good anthropological social science reasons why people believe in God that that doesn't prove there's a God, but it proves that we create gods in our heads. In addition to that, I don't think there's any evidence to support that there actually is a God out there separate from our beliefs. So if you agree with me that the evidence points in that direction, that we constructed gods and not vice versa, I would urge you to vote on our side for the proposition that science refutes God. Thank you, Michael Shermer. And that is our motion, Science Refutes God. And here to summarize his
1: position against the motion, Dinesh D'Souza. He is the best-selling author of What's So Great About Christianity, and he is the director of 2016 Obama's America.
0: We're debating here, has science refuted God? And in some senses, we've been talking past each other. If I take a pot of water and put it on the stove, what am I trying to do? I'm trying to make a cup of tea. Now, Lawrence Krauss could come along and say that the molecules are heating up. He could give a full scientific account of what's going on, but he would have completely missed the purpose behind what I'm doing. The scientific explanation doesn't refute the purposeful explanation, it coexists alongside it, and so it is with God. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Dinesh D'Souza. Science refutes God is our motion, and here to summarize his position in support of this motion, Lawrence Krauss. He is a theoretical physicist and director of the Origins Project at Arizona State University.
2: Human beings were clearly programmed by evolution to impute intentionality to the world around them. Meaning and purpose was infused in all everyday events to make sense of a dangerous, difficult, and uncaring world. So we had rituals behind the sun, the moon, the planets, the wind, the earth, the oceans, in all societies. The rise of our physical understanding has slowly caused us to do away with those many gods. We no longer have Mars, the god of war, Poseidon, the Greek god of the sea, Thor, the god of storms, and there's a reason for that. Science has taught us that instead of capricious beings, there's an order to nature, and that order does not appear to involve a divinity. There's no need for a divinity. Science has taught us also that we want to believe, in the words of Fox Mulder. And we should be skeptical of of those desires. As the physicist Richard Feynman told us, the easiest people to fool are ourselves. As scientists, we have to train ourselves to be skeptical of wanting to believe. And human beings are also inevitably programmed to ask why, as we've heard it. But the why question is ill-posed, because it presumes purpose. What if there is no purpose? Does there need to be purpose? And science tells us there's no evidence of purpose. And therefore, science, by telling us there's no need for purpose, has refuted the need for God, and
1: that's why you should support
2: our position.
1: Thank you, Lawrence Krauss. And that concludes our closing statements. All right, first of all, first of all, uh, I want to thank um, this panel of debaters uh, for being so uh, energetic, honest, intelligent. They brought it all. Thank you. Okay. So it's all in. I have been given the results. Remember, the team that changes the most minds is declared the victor, and here it is. Before the debate, 37% agreed with the motion, 34% were against, and 29% were undecided. So those are the first results. Remember, the team that has the highest percentage change is declared the winner. In the second vote, let's go first to the team that was arguing for the motion Science refutes God. Their number went from 37% to 50%. That's a 13% increase. So the team arguing against the motion has to do better than 13%. Let's see how they did. Before the vote, 34%. The second vote, 38%. That's up 4%. It's not enough. The team arguing for the motion, Science Refutes God, has won the debate. Our congratulations to them. Thank you for me, John Donban, and Intelligence Squared U.S. We'll see you next time. This Intelligence Squared U.S. debate was held at the Kaufman Center in New York City. Dana Wolf is the executive producer. Maureen McMurray and Rob Christensen are the radio producers. Damon Whittemore is the audio engineer. Chris Kamakawa is researcher. And I'm your host, John Donvan. For more information or to purchase tickets to future events, visit www.iq2us.org. Intelligence Squared U.S. is supported by the Rosencrantz Foundation and distributed by NPR.